What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh. I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadl. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, a podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. This is your host, Mortada El Fadl. This week, we do not have a new film to discuss because of the holidays. Happy holidays. So I thought I'd look back at our first 12 episodes and see what I learned talking with other critics and writers about the films of Kate Blanchett. And there were a few themes that emerged and became apparent. So let's dive in. The most common answer to which Kate Blanchett performance is most underrated was a surprise. Why a surprise, you say? Because it revealed that an Oscar-nominated performance can be underrated. Yes, we're talking about I'm Not There, the 2008 movie by Todd Haynes in which Kate played a version of Bob Dylan called Jude Quinn. Is Jude Quinn ever mentioned as a unique creation of hers in the, in the same tone as Blue Jasmine or Carol Erd? Never. Yet, it's not a gimmick. It's not a trick. It's a fantastic, lived-in, stylized performance that should rank among her bests. And my guests agree. I don't think this is exactly an underrated performance because I think that for anybody who saw this movie and her performance in it, it is phenomenal. And she's phenomenal in it. And it was she was recognized and Oscar-nominated as such. But Kate Blanchett in I'm Not There is, to me, one of the most probably the most underrated performance of her career in that I just think she's so magnetic in it and such fascinating energy with regards to gender in a way that's very rarely brought up in, in reviews of her work, but is very much a feature of her work, including in Elizabeth. Uh, and I just think that it brings together in a lot of really surprising ways her gestural qualities as a performer and her tendency to be a very full-body full body physical performer. Which... This is a weird answer, but I think she's underrated and I'm not there because I think that people view that performance as very much gimmick mm-hmm. and, the, and the Oscar nomination that went along with it. But I think it's very... I think that's a brilliant performance and it, it's a performance that stands out from a lot of her career in general and also a lot of what she was doing at the moment. Like if you sort of position that against Notes on a Scandal, mm-hmm. which is not, which is a performance that I enjoy watching, but I don't actually think that's a great Kate Blanchett performance because I don't think she plays stupid very well. <laughs> She's way too smart to play stupid. But why do you like I'm Not There? I think that she really dug into becoming this is such as it doesn't even it doesn't feel like she's playing bob dylan it feels like she's playing an interpretation of bob dylan and i was i'm not someone who is super well versed in the history of bob dylan but i just found that character jude i believe it's the name of the character that she's playing jude quinn i felt like the whole gimmick of like oh she's playing a man i felt like that was so little of it of, of the impact of that performance to me i think that her reserve and her sort of bombast because 
you could feel her playing unearned bombast very well <laughs> in the sense not maybe not unearned but like maybe overstated like queen elizabeth you know earned her bombast like she she too can command the wind you know yes. but when jude talks about him when jude sort of talks about himself or around himself in these glowing terms like it just it felt so astute and it's not just like a lot of that was the script obviously and todd haynes direction but i think that her gesticulation like she so got the way that that kind of man <laughs> yeah talks about himself yeah i like that performance too it's a turn because it's so big and has so many gestures and she's always never still in that film she's always moving but she found something there that just and also it's it's one of the films you know Todd Haynes really knows how to um, frame actors and she is one of the best actors in filling the frame so yeah I agree with you yeah and 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 I say it's weird to bring that up as an underrated performance because she I think she came for she probably came very close to winning for that do, do you agree I think so yes um but I mean who who knows what was going on in that category that year but yeah. I, I think, think that she came you're, you're right it's underrated in that when people mention her performances they, they, they reduce don't it. mention it well and they re, and I think that people when they even when they talk about her in the context of, in the context of that Oscar year I think they reduce it they reduce that performance and you know a lot of people were reducing it in reaction to being like oh well well look at Look at what Tilda Swinton's doing in Michael Clayton, and that's such a great performance, which it is. And why don't they ever reward? Why don't they ever reward subtle, but you know, nominated work like that? Yeah. Well, they did. They did. The best performance in the category won. Tilda Swinton was the best, and she won. Can we stop shitting on Kate now? No wonder she won the Oscar for The Aviator. Playing the Academy's favorite actress, doing her voice and mannerisms, and giving basically a Katharine Hepburn performance, they couldn't resist. The part is a series of big scenes, set pieces for Kate, every single one a showcase of her. Despite what anyone might have thought, in early 2005, the other nominees did not stand a chance. So Blanchett is doing this complete imitation mimicry. And she is doing it to the hilt. It's big. She's got the voice. She's got the mannerisms. She's got the body movement. And this is why that, I think that scene is so impactful. You're either in with this performance or you're not. Because she's presented in the golf screen, in this golf, playing golf with Leo as Howard Hughes. And he doesn't even say that much. She is walking and talking and playing golf. Doesn't even wait for him to respond to her. She's saying everything. And you're just, and she's going really big and you, you either love it or you're just like, okay, I can't deal with this. And obviously I loved it, but and I think <laughs> that's why it's, it's so impactful. It's just so big from the beginning. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's quite jarring. And I, like, I, I rem I watched the aviator like when it came out and I remember like not really thinking about it much. I remember sort of Kate being Kate and sort of that being like sort of, that the mimicry was there, but I hadn't thought about this movie in a long time. And then when I was watching it ahead of this, because I'm so now well acquainted with both Hepburn and Blanchett, mm -hmm. seeing that scene, which is really like attacking you with the mimicry, yeah. feels so jarring. And I said, it's sort of like a jump. And she's saying, you know, I'm just going to go for it. And you're like, like you're saying, like, you're just either going to come with me or you're going to be left behind, uh, which is sort of what Hepburn is, is doing to Hughes, which is like, I'm going to talk, I'm going to, I'm going to play. 
I'm going to keep talking at you. You are deaf and I don't, I don't understand why you're not acknowledging this, but I'm just going to keep doing it. She's like steamrolling him and she steamrolls the film. And I think it's, it's one of these like supporting performances that you can see why Oscar voters like got attached to it. Cause it's yeah. the kind of like, you really want her on screen the entire time, but you also know that the power of the performance lies in that it's so carefully doled out and it jolts the film every time, yeah. every time she's in. I mean, it's a see. I'm, I'm not surprised at all that she won the Oscar because it's a series of set pieces where mm. she is center for the first sort of half of the movie or for like an hour after she appears or something like that. There is, I think, five or six scenes and they're all about her. She yeah. is walking and talking and playing golf. Then she's in the Coke cabana, f- sort of being irritated by Errol Flynn. <laughs> then, then she's in a plane falling in love with Howard Hughes and flirting with him and saying golly. And then, you know, she's taking care of him and talking to him about fame. And then the breakup. So yeah. these are all sort of like big set pieces. So, and she is just... The scenes are, the movie is about Howard Hughes, but the scenes she's in are about Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. And I think like the, it's fascinating also that the cinematography really like marks their scenes as different. Like, where like that golf scene has like a very different coloration from the rest of the film mm-hmm. and it sort of stylizes already. And so I think like marks Blanchett's performance as very stylized that, that, that the film is going to sort of follow through with that. And even that final sequence that they have together, they're not even in the same room, but they're both lit. Like she's lit like a red light and I think there's always these moments where the film is really making you make conscious makes you aware of how different her performance is within the film but that like she is at the center of every one of those interactions and yeah I'm glad you you brought up the stylized and sort of the different colors because Scorsese has you know in reading trivia about this movie I wouldn't have noticed it except I read it is that he change the color in post in every time period that the movie takes place in based on the movies and gradation, the color gradations of movies of that year, of that era. So I guess in Kate's scene, he was in Blanchett's scene, he was doing the Hepburn movie color Mm. gradations. That's fascinating. And it's, that's such a Marty thing to do. (laughs) He's such a movie nerd. The film historian in him is just always sort of like uh, attacking you with that. But Not only did Kate Blanchett play Catherine Hepburn, but she pays homage to other classic stars in many of her movies. Me and my guests have come up with a few names. In these clips that I'm about to share with you, we talk about her nods to Betty Davis and to Joan Crawford, how her Meredith Logue in The Talented Mr. Ripley is reminiscent of Vera Miles. We talk about the various characterizations that inspired her Irina Spalco in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, from Lotta Lenya's Rosa Klebb to Sid Charisse's Ninochka. Let's talk a little bit about who we think is Kate's sort of classic mirror actress, because mm-hmm. I think of her as somebody who would have been great in those amazing movies in the late 30s and 40s of Hepburn and and Betty Davis. And I've always in my mind thought of Kate, even though she is much more glamorous than Betty Davis, I always thought of her as somebody who was playing in the Betty Davis register. Like I think young 20-something Kate would have done an amazing job in Jezebel or Of Human Mm -hmm. Bondage. 
Who do you think of? Is it Hepburn for you? Is Kate? I think I think late Hepburn is closer to what Blanche is. Mm-hmm. And I think it reviews people would comment on how Gwyneth was Grace Kelly. Mm-hmm. But finding an equivalent for Kate is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking how, you know, she reminded me of like a Jean Tierney because she's so glamorous meets Vera Miles and like psycho character. Because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I remember the first time I watched the movie, I was terrified for Kate the entire time. I was like, when is Tom Ridley going to murder her? Because she's so nosy. <laughs> she's, she's always up in his business. So Reviewer that caught on that she she's doing Lottie Lenya from... Uh, from Russia with Love, the character of Rosa Klebb, is brilliant because that's exactly what she's doing. Maybe not with so many gay mm-hmm. overtones, but like that's that's exactly what she's doing. And I do like the uh, and that's Richard Corliss Manolo of Time. Dargis who said yes. that, who is obviously the most brilliant critic. Yes, absolutely. And then Richard Corliss of Time mentioned that she, you know, she has the demeanor of Sid Charisse in Ninochka. Um, and I was like, Oh, I didn't, I hadn't even thought of that, but she does. She has that sort of, she also, and and it's just the Bob, but like, I look at her and I see very Louise Brooks mm, sort yeah, of quality, yeah. you know, but the, but I like that comparison, the Sid Charisse comparison. Yeah. I mean, Kate always looks to older classic actresses and classic parts. Yeah. Like she based a good German on Ingrid Bergman. Obviously yeah. we talked, she played Catherine Hepburn. Her Cinderella villain was based on John Crawford. At least that's what she said. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> <It comes crossed. laughs> I'm not surprised that, you know, she looked at, you know, according to these critics at other classic parts. So because it, it's what she does, but who walked like that? Who was a robot? Yeah. Where did she get that from? Where did from? she get that? There, there was, I think somebody else briefly, and I, I feel bad for not crediting them, uh, briefly mentioned Marlena Dietrich, and maybe she's doing a little, like, a little bit of the Dietrich, but even Dietrich was never so, like, stiff and mannered yeah, as like Falco is. I think her Dietrich is more Carol, who yes. is both Sam and androgynous. <laughs> The early 2000s were a rough time to be a Blanchett fan. Charlotte Gray, The Shipping News, The Gift. She was making anti-Elizabeth movies, trying to go as far away as possible from her breakout role. She was working in different genres and with different directors and learning how to be a great film actress. However, the results didn't always work, but the experiences paid off later in her career. We talked about that in our episode about Sam Raimi's The Gift. And, um, and, where, and where is the room for Kate Blanchett's performance to be calibrated in a way that makes sense in a broad sense where like, it can do something for her career, right? Yeah. And this movie didn't do anything for her career. She, so she Positive or negative. Yeah, exactly. She did, Elizabeth became an international movie star and I guess got a lot of offers because she did work a lot between, you know, 99, which is the year after Elizabeth, until 2000 six seven she was in a lot of movies in that time and not many of them worked but i just want to concentrate on these sort of two years after elizabeth so she gets elizabeth gets an oscar nomination everybody knows who she is everybody says this is the next great actress basically that 
was her reviews from Elizabeth. She, she gave she gave a great performance right after that, though. In the talented Mr. Ripley, and that was Hell a, yes. a subversive step to take as your first role. She took a small role, but in a movie that obviously worked, and in a, with a lot of actors of her generation, and all of them except and, Jack and Davenport with, and, are great actors, considered great actors now. And in a movie with the actress who everyone wanted to rhetorically position her as like being in competition with, where she's like, oh, you're going to paint these sexist narratives where women are against each other? Yeah. Fuck you. We're in a movie together now. Now what? Yeah. And, and actually, they shot it before the Oscars, but obviously after they made their films. I know. I know. Just, I, like, <laughs> I, like, I like my version. <laughs> Your version is better. It's a good story. And then she decides to do this Long Island Housewife, another supporting part in Pushing Ten which your story says that's where she decided then to do the gift because she worked with Billy Bob Thornton there. And then she did The Man Who Cried with Sally Potter, who's an avant-garde filmmaker. And that movie is also weird, but she has a supporting part. So I think she really was trying to get away as far from Elizabeth as she could, playing all these, all these roles. You know, three of them are supporting parts. You know, Christina Ricci is the lead in The Man Who Cried. And I guess Angelina Jolie is the lead in Pushing Thin. It's sort of a four-person story, but she's definitely fourth in those four. Yeah, and it's weird. This was like this is a very interesting career because I feel like a lot of... I was going to say a lot of groundwork is being laid, but it's not even that because like a lot of a lot of these movies, like The Gift, sort of didn't do anything negatively or positively, positively for her career. But given what came after, they sort of serve as relics of how she is like i think the i think the gift shows that she's an adventurous actress which i which is something i do appreciate about her like she will take she will take roles that it, where people like what her and that were like even something like the thor movie and you can argue maybe that was a paycheck but she clearly enjoyed what she was doing in that or what she does in something like hana the Joe Wright movie yeah. with with Saoirse Ronan. Mm -hmm. I think she finds a way, she often finds a way, even if I don't always love the result, she finds a way to take roles where she is able to, or at least show through the script different sides of what she can do. And like, she's not afraid to take supporting roles too, which is mm -hmm. something like, you know, you would think given the ego of Hollywood and what, like, you know, after you come, after you're the presumptive second place in Best Actress, you know that you would assume that you want to get another one like and she's not she's not afraid to take movies where she's not the it's a lot like, of supporting the parts. focus and even in you know the famous story from the shipping news which is a terrible news but there is it's a terrible movie but there is one sort of anecdote that fits what we are talking about which is she was offered the lead part that was eventually played by julianne moore and she's like ah that's not interesting i'd rather play that small part that dies 10 minutes into the movie. So she has always sort of done this. It's, and I have to say as a fan of hers since Elizabeth, I was very frustrated in the early 2000s because I was like, why is she in these movies? Why isn't she leading movies? But you know what? I think in the end, she sort of worked in a lot of movies with a lot of different directors, played a lot of different types of stories. Like, you know, The Gift Pushing Tin, The Man Who Cried, and and Elizabeth don't have anything in common, nor do the filmmakers behind them. So I think that gave her a lot of experience and a lot of, to sort of hone her craft.
Little Fish deserved to be seen. It was released in the U.S. for only one week. It made less than $2,000 at the U.S. box office. Yet Rowan Woods' filmmaking is superb. The performances are uniformly exquisite, and it has Kate's best romantic chemistry with a male co-star in Dustin Guayen. We talked about that in our episode about Little Fish. In this clip, we are talking about the direction of Rowan Woods. Yeah. He is very good. Like this, this movie has has a uh, a unique sort of style to it. Like the music, the the cameras, just the way it looks, the way he shoots people. He's always shooting them from below, which mm-hmm. sort of just adds to probably what you know. They they all feel trapped. They feel trapped because they're addicts. They feel trapped because they don't have money. Because everybody keeps telling them we are not going to give you credit. All of that. So the way that he he shoots Kate and and Hugo Weaving. You really feel how trapped these characters are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. It's very, it's very claustrophobic and it's very sort of erratic shooting. But I liked it because I think it sort of captures the, the dirt and the grime, but also like what it's like when you're a drug addict and what mm-hmm. the world and seeing the world through what that looks like. Um, I think he really captured that yeah. so and it's a showcase for a lot of um, australian actors so that we know and love from other it's not just kate it's hugo weaving it's sam neill it's martin henderson mm-hmm. who we've seen um in a lot of other hollywood movies mm-hmm. but not like this <laughs> mm-hmm. and to, i was surprised i think one of the things that drew me in as well was like seeing kate blanchett in a relationship with a man of color mm-hmm. which is different you know dustin Dustin Wen is not known for dramatic acting. He's an action star yeah. uh, for the most part. So seeing him in a dramatic role as a recovering addict and a love interest was really interesting. Ocean's 8 is another movie that I re-examined for the podcast. A lot of people have told me how much they like it. But I was a bit harsh on it when it was released because I expected more. If you remember, there was a long time between all the amazing photos we were getting from the set and the actual movie coming out. And my expectations skyrocketed. No wonder I was underwhelmed when I finally saw it. But on the rewatch for the podcast, I found Ocean's 8 to be fun and breezy. Also, you know, I was not a very good film, but Ocean's 8, she's great. Yeah. She, yeah, she and Sandra Bullock have, like, amazing chemistry together. And, like, just to see her do something so, like, smooth and, like, sexy and tough, like, it's really cool. I think her her character in Ocean's 8 is maybe the closest to her real-life persona. I think so, yeah. And it's fun. We don't have to talk a lot about the plot of the movie, because basically it's just the plot of every Ocean's 11 movie. There's something they want to get. They recruit the people. So the people they recruit include Helena Bonham Carter, Anne Hathaway, Mindy Kaling, Rihanna, and Aquafina. It's a pretty great cast. It is. It's pretty good. Yeah, but the movie is not as good as this cast. Right. I know we have this later in the outline, but, you know, people were so hyped for this movie. Yeah. And they just kept adding people to the cast. And we'd be like, holy shit, Rihanna. Holy shit, Sarah Paulson. Holy shit, Aquafina. And they were like adding and adding. And then the pictures were coming out. And we were like, this is going to be the greatest thing in the history of cinema. And it wasn't. But it was fun. Like, yeah. it was good. Um, and, you know, I mean, the pictures, 
of, of them on set and in the outfits basically like sum up the appeal of the movie which is just yeah. like watching these fabulous women wear fabulous clothes and do crime and it's a great time it's not incredible but it's a great time yeah it is a great time and i think also this movie if you remember as you know I follow and look for photos of Kate. So it was such a long time from when they were shooting in New York and we were getting paparazzi pictures every day to mm-hmm. the actual movie coming out. It was almost two years. So it was such a long way. And all it those was paparazzi ever, pictures. Forever. <laughs> yes, forever. All the paparazzi pictures were so amazing. Like Kate and Rihanna in Central Park with a oh laptop. Like who knows what they were doing? Yes. And every time, like every day, they had a different crazy outfit on. Every day, it was like she was coming out of her trailer holding one of her kids, like talking to Rihanna with the other hand, like in like a velvet suit or like in this crazy coat. And we were like, this is going to be amazing. And like there was a picture of like Anne Hathaway with the knife on the subway. And but then it was you're right. It was so long before the movie actually came out. I remember like being like literally on Twitter, just like another day. No Ocean's 8 trailer. Like, (laughs) will we make it? Will this Uh, movie ever come out? Which honestly, I think was part of of like the problem of building the hype. Yeah, was like it raised our expectations too high because we had to wait too long, and all we had was these amazing pictures to like stare at and wait. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those pictures were hard to top. Elizabeth remains a huge touchstone in Blanchett's career. It was the first time many people saw her and fell in love with her talent. I was one of those people, and so were some of my guests. So what is your favorite Kate performance? I would probably have to say Elizabeth. I haven't seen it in a while, and when I like listened to your podcast about it, I was like, oh, maybe it isn't a good movie. I don't remember, but I remember at the time when I saw it that I loved it, and because it is my first introduction to Kate, it has that like special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Mine too. Exactly. She's so good in it. Yeah. Like the movie might not be good, debatable, but she is really great in it. She's great in it, yeah. And it is the reason why a lot of us love her. So yeah. yes, that's still there. You can change your mind 21 years into a love affair. <laughs> <laughs> this movie for people who love Kate, it's the first time they saw her. It's like sort of like at the time, it was this like, who's this? And you know, that sort of feeling of who's this you know, stays with you, even though I think she has given many, many much you, better performances. You bought your stocks early. You I, were like, you were like, it's 1955 and I'm putting my money in IBM. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you were on the train as the train was leaving the station. <laughs> I sure was. Yeah. 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 And also like this was her third movie. So she, I don't think at the time had really honed what you know, the camera can do mm-hmm. or what, or how she sort of like fits the frame. But she does give these gestures. Another gesture that I really loved is towards the end where she's telling Lord Dudley off. And basically she says to him, you know, I'm not going to kill you. You'll be kept alive to remind me that how close I came to danger. She gives that speech. And the movie is full of these speeches that she gives. There's a lot of them, which is probably why people, including me, love her. Because she's very good at delivering the speech. But what I love about this scene particularly is after she gives the speech and she sort of retreats and then the camera is on her and she's just looking, she turns left and she turns right and she's looking at the walls as if there is something in Dudley's wall that is interesting when there is nothing. And it's just a little bit of moment where you can see Elizabeth's 
just interact on screen as a person. And before Shaker Kapoor jumps to the next crazy scene, there is a moment, there, that's a moment there we're just watching Kate, the actor, just hold the screen. And it's why I sort of, it's one of the reasons I love this performance. She do, you, does, do you still love it? I mean, it's the reason I fell in love with Kate. It was the first time I saw her. So I don't think that's going to change. But I don't think I liked the movie as much as I liked it at the time. And the only reason to see this movie is to just watch her, really. And this is it for our highlight reel. We will return next week with a brand new episode and a discussion of a brand new film. And until then, you can follow me on Twitter at ME underscore says and follow and interact with the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. And until then, thank you for listening. Thank you.